friends, you're listening to Worst Show Ever. I'm your host, CJ Boyd. I'm here with Red Hunter, and this is a fun little surprise. We're in Detroit. We are sitting in my van, Del Griffith, in front of Spread Art. I'm about to play a show. Red just texted me about what, an hour, hour and a half ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and said, apparently, he's like, hey, you're playing in Detroit tonight. I just moved to Detroit. Uh, that's fun. Uh, Red and I have known each other a long time. I don't even know. Do you have any idea? Twelve-ish years. That sounds something yeah. like that. I definitely remember booking a show for you when I lived in Chicago. But I don't know if that's when I met you or if I knew you before that. And that was... I only lived in Chicago for about five months. The end of 2007, beginning of 2008. Um, but I feel like I'm probably maybe before that and yeah I, for some reason I first first time I pictured it was in Austin Texas but that yeah oh been. yeah I think so I will say without embarrassing you with praise huh. you wrote a record that to me is like the consummate music for traveling musicians <laughs> and uh yeah lightness for me is like the record well thank you that uh thank you that thank I you. think of in terms of like Hey, if you travel, you probably yep. relate to every one of these right, songs. Right. <laughs> yep, that was written uh, on the road, for the road, for sure. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought, yeah. And so when you said you were going to be here, I was like, hey, do you want to do this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> because I thought, uh, I'm sure. I'm You're sure. making my night, too, because this is like exactly what you want to have happen when you impromptu show up to a show, like your second day in town. Or, <laughs> right. Yeah. So you just moved to Hamtramck yesterday? Yesterday. Okay, okay, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, man, I'm curious to hear. It's funny uh, reliving it as I biked over here mentally just to uh, to kind of prep the timeline and try to make sure I remembered all the events in order because it was super traumatic and I haven't really thought about it much since it happened. Uh, my worst show ever is the time a sound guy pulled a knife on me in Shreveport, Louisiana. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> in the venue, like in front of the sound booth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Um, Okay, so she, do you want to, is there a story? Yeah, to there's, it? yeah. <laughs> I was like, you just <laughs> I mean, yeah, I kind of, I gave away the climax at the beginning, yeah. but basically it was like uh, one of those tours where you're you're ready for it to be over and it's your last night of tour. And yeah. uh, the next day, we, you know, the ne- maybe even that night, we considered just doing our show in Shreveport and driving home to Dallas where we were, me and um, my bandmate Emma were stationed at the time. Yeah. And uh, it was definitely like a, like if a bad thing was going to go down you'd want it to not be that particular night because we were already like road weary and everything so uh we get to the venue and um load in and then there's like dead time that the opening band it was just a two two bands playing that night okay. opener and us we were on like a national tour so i guess we were like the headliner but was this for peter and the peter wolf, and the wolf yeah. yeah at the time and um so we're like technically the headliner but it's we're, we're also kind of like on the newer side of things it was still pretty early in the band's existence and it headline didn't mean anything really it just meant you and a local playing a show or you this is a pretty player. common yeah, yeah this is like a common thing that I've noticed where like the idea of headlining maybe has prestige to people who don't actually tour right right but playing last is not necessarily a privilege exactly <laughs> if it means playing after the people leave and it's um the the importance of establishing that at the beginning of the story is is such that the the weird argument that leads to the chaos was was about <laughs> the two bands trying to figure out who's playing first so we we get there no one's there i think the bartender gives us a shot and we go f- find dinner after we load in or whatever and you know half an hour later we get back and the the band that's the other band's playing has set up completely the sound guy's there he's like finishing sound checking it all happened in a very quick space of time while we were okay. away 
and the band has like a polyphonic spree level of gear on this small bar stage like the, the, okay. the stage is just full and which is something that you don't even notice unless what's about to happen happens which is they, they then proceed to somebody from the band I think the singer guitar player you know comes and introduces himself to us and um and is cool and says like alright cool so uh, it's, it's cool that we're all set up and, and we're like of course yeah it's great like guess you probably have some dead time before the show and then they were like yeah so you you think you could play around it and and i was like oh like you're gonna do your set and like not take your stuff off the stage is that kind of what you're what you're asking he's like oh no no no, you guys are going first right and then we were like oh no no our set time was like you know 10 o'clock or whatever we were playing we thought we were playing second and then the dude is like oh okay well could you play first and you know we're kind of kind of over being on tour and probably down to play first but at the same time like it would have meant like people that were coming to see us might have missed the set you know the usual so I'm trying to say that to the dude and he's like he's like oh man it's just like you can see how much gear we have on the stage it's like such a pain in the ass to like take it all down and of course anyone who was looking at the setup would be like yes that is duly noted and then he was saying something like well maybe we could move the tables it was like a bar restaurant so there's tables in front of the stage maybe we could move the tables and you could just play on the floor in front of our gear and open the set and then now I start thinking like alright now I'm, now I'm going to be playing in front of the monitors uh, now I'm playing on the floor instead of the stage like now you got me kind of doing like more like opener duty when when it's sort of more like I want to play at my actual set time I don't actually not want to play on the stage and we're starting to get a little bit heated but nothing crazy like nobody's raising their voice or anything but it was clear that we were not yet seeing eye to eye me and this yeah. random band yeah. guy but you're saying he was being nice he just nobody was, like, was being uncool but he just, but we were in a we were in a um, he, debate he probably if you had if you had if he had started setting up when you were there it would have been something of course resolved. yeah and definitely then, but it just as you guys were getting dinner is when they set up definitely so this yeah. is a very non big deal kind of conversation we're having I'm hoping to avoid playing on the, on the floor right and he's hoping to avoid having to take his whole setup down very well, and reasonably. maybe I'll just add uh, for listeners who don't know, like one of the issues, right? If so you're singing and you're in front of the monitors, like there's more feedback and it's it's not yeah. ideal. It's like you, it's harder to hear yourself if the monitors aren't pointed to you, but also if you're in front of the speakers, then there's more feedback. And it's, yeah, you're it's straight not, up. You're, it's fine for like noise bands. It's fine for things like without vocals, but for stuff you do like where it's like mostly like vocal. Yeah, the two driven. vocalists um, being able to hear each other and stay on with each other is so important that it's almost like I knew if I played on the floor it would be a, a less good set musically yeah so that was my angle and he yeah. doesn't know me yet and I don't know him so we, we haven't even gotten to that point in the conversation right. and as he and I are definitely like squaring off and kind of going back and forth a little for like you know 30 seconds I'm saying like the same things I just said to you like oh, our stuff depends on being able to hear each other if there's a crowd here we won't be able to yada, yada. he he goes from like kind of like looking me in the eyes and, and kind of being my opponent in this debate to kind of like suddenly looking concerned and looking over my shoulder and uh, and he goes, he goes. Oh, uh, is that a knife? I just want to be clear that he's holding a knife. And then I turn around and see the sound guy is behind me, and he's taking a buck knife out of his uh, pocket, and he's like twisting it uh, the way like a like a pig on a spit would be rotating, like with the neat with the point of the thing against his finger. He's just kind of going like that menacingly for no reason, like out of nowhere. So <laughs> now there's a guy behind me who's got a knife, like like, like kind of. Like, not necessarily holding it to my throat or anything, but just kind of twisting it. And he, the sound guy goes, is there a problem here? Like, thinking that he was, it was knife time. And the, the thing about, <laughs> the, 
It's so rarely knife time I know, at, a, I know. at a show, really. <laughs> um, and the crazy thing was, like, this dude... Um, okay, you know how, like, if you describe a scary guy, like, if I were to be like, that guy was fucking scary, you would assume a couple of, like, platonic ideal, like, scariness components, for example, someone might be big, someone might be covering up a lot of their features with a hood, or like, things that we associate with being scary culturally. There's this other kind of scary <laughs> that is, like, almost even scarier when someone is small and scary. Okay. This dude... <laughs> He had like, <laughs> like, he, like scary and something to prove. Yes, he had like <laughs> Chihuahua that just got out of a, a like a hailstorm scary vibe, like, <laughs> like just mad and mean, and you don't quite understand what you're seeing. And at, at the risk of like guessing what drug somebody does, it the guy kind of looked like the personification of crystal meth or okay. something, which is okay. like I wouldn't I wouldn't drug shame someone uh, like out of nowhere, but because he was doing <laughs> methy things like holding a knife, I feel like it's 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 allowed to be said. <laughs> Okay, so. <laughs> so I haven't heard the term drug shame. Is that a thing? No, I just, I just, I figure like I'm into it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I, but it is funny. I mean, as much as like, sure, most people I know do some form of drugs. There is a difference between like, oh, like we got high and had a good time. Right. We got high and held someone at point. <laughs> There's a difference, I guess. <laughs> it's a big difference. Um, yeah, I was thinking on my way over here, like, yeah, it's like. I'm basically judging someone by his appearance so it is kind of a form of like whatever shaming but but in this case I'm just trying to guess what drug he's on so yeah um, but well, and that's legit also because with shaming aside when and I feel this way just about alcohol that like I try to assess and when you're on tour you have to just assess a situation that you're in all the time you don't know you're in a place you've never been or rarely have been and there's always this aspect of just trying to figure out what's going on to see if you are if things are fine totally. or if they're not fine totally. and they, you add someone being drunk or high to that and it sometimes changes your prognosis of whether or not it's fine you know yep. there's times when everything seems fine like wait no but that guy's super drunk so maybe it's not fine yep yep and like sometimes a guy's just showing his knife because he's a stoner and he got a cool new knife and sometimes it's because he's a meth dude and he might use his <laughs> knife and so you want right. to quickly guess the drug and <laughs> like help assess help place the knife in a context right yeah. so yeah so basically knife resolves everything and suddenly I go from like giving a fuck whether I'm playing in front of the monitors to being extremely happy to play in front of the monitors <laughs> and the, the, the whole thing got resolved instantaneously I was like oh okay I guess we're playing on the floor no need to no need to talk any further and the other dude the guy in the other band was like yeah I guess that is the quickest way to get this over with. So I immediately walk away. Like I, I say, okay, it's cool. We'll do it your way. Bye. And then, um, and I go tell Emma, my bandmate what happened. And then she and I decided to as discreetly as possible, get as much of our gear packed as possible. <laughs> so and play with it, strip down a possible setup as, as we could. I, at the time was playing like drums with my feet. Okay. guitar and um, okay you're not you're not saying like bail before the set no no you're no, saying no just get as much of our setup removed uh we no we it crossed our minds to leave before the set yeah i think we had like a 150 dollar guarantee and it was like, right which and is you... good for us at the time but at the same time it was like 150 a night 150 we're like weighing you know like, what? i swear so my friend jessica brought this up but i almost feel like a an alternative title to this show would be what will people do for money? <laughs> you know, like, How much is like, your guarantee what, worth it? Yeah, or like, and especially <laughs> most of the people I talk to is not even necessarily a guarantee or it's very little money. Like, what will you do for a small amount of money? <laughs> what things will we endure? And be like, well, no, I didn't want to play in a smoky bar when I had the flu, yeah. but they were going to give me $50. Right, exactly. So I was willing to do that and just hack up a lung yep. the whole night. Yeah. 
Yeah. For gas money in the next town, especially when you need gas money in the next town, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we quickly determined that we would not bail on the set, but we get the drums taken out of the equation and like, uh, okay. go direct in with the guitar instead of like an amp or something, you know, little things like and that. And was Emma playing She was, um, guitar singing also? in like Shaking a Maraca. So okay. it was like, um, it was like, uh, she could still do that and I could still play guitar and we'd get the drums packed, get the amps okay. packed. So we did that and then, you know, you know, 45 minutes later, whatever, we're, we're playing on the floor, we'd move the tables, yada, yada. I think we maybe even shaved a few songs off the set just to, just you know, like, <laughs> it went from like nine to six probably songs. Okay. And, uh, and then the icing on the cake of this story is that the sound guy then proceeded in what could be, what could be seen as nothing other than like on purpose to fuck with the high frequencies of our set to create like these shrill feedback blasts that happened throughout. Like almost once a song, he would blast us with feedback. Um, and we, you know, we had no sound set up really. It was just two voices and a guitar. So there was nothing to be tweaking with. No pun intended, but like, um, <laughs> but like the dude was, was like, that really not intended. No, I swear to God. <laughs> that was really but he just, um, he, uh, he just, I think he just determined that he was going to, fuck with us through our set like to see what like if he could get a rise of us or whatever it was uh, and you know I think we then debated whether or not to wait around to get paid or just bail and I think we did end up just toughing it out and watching the other band set and just kind of being wary at all times of where the sound guy was in the room <laughs> but uh right and he was gone by the um by halfway through their set too the sound guy oh. set them up and get, they got started and then if they had had any other problems I would have been sound guy for the rest of the night that dude was just gone <laughs> it was a weird night he had shit to do man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hang around here all night just just to put feedback in people's <laughs> monitors I mean I don't even understand so you were playing in front of the monitors mm-hmm. In front of the speakers? Yeah, I think that we, uh, yeah, I think that he, it was very easy for him to just um, raise the high frequencies on what was now main speakers behind us. Yeah. Monitors on stage, like behind our heads, and the main speakers behind us at like 45 degree angles pointing forward. So it's a pretty easy thing to create feedback with someone. And I think he just either, he might actually, maybe he stumbled on the first time, but then he was like, ha ha ha, or something. I don't know. But maybe it wasn't even on his mind. Or maybe, maybe he's just a terrible sound yeah, guy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's given. I mean, that is confirmed. <laughs> but um, but the funny thing is, the next band sounded great. They, they okay. sounded good. They sounded great. <laughs> but that, they might have just been a good band. I forget the name of their band. I, I definitely uh, would would know them if I heard them again. But uh, they I don't think they went on to become like you know well known or anything. But they were cool guys in retrospect, and they had a cool band. Right. Shreve, they were local Shreveport <laughs> locals. Um, oh my god! They, they probably remember this story, so it'd be funny if they ever if they ever heard it, because um, I I imagine that they tell that story too because it's so weird. But the guy, so the other guy saw the knife first. Yeah, over my shoulder. And just, was, do you feel like when he was out, when he mentioned the knife, that he was like Telling alerting me. you? Totally. He was like, hey, yeah, yeah. so just mentioning out he, loud, he like no said, one does, I that think there his, is a knife. I think his exact quote was, "I just want to be clear, that's a knife, right?" Or something like that. He said it very much like, "To me." So that I knew, in case I was about to like go up a level in the debate enthusiasm, you know, like, right. He was basically saying, like, all right, let's all get real calm, real fast, and uh, it was effective. It worked. He got he got me to notice, and then conversation was resolved. But <laughs> what if that band had talked privately to the sound guy, and they're like, "Look, we want to play good cop here, but can you can you show up you with got your our knife? back? <laughs> you have our back if this red guy gets crazy." <laughs> He'll still think folk. we're great folks, but we just want you to threaten him with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> These indie folk bands tend to get rowdy, so let's see if we can uh, get our just, weapons in order. Let's just calm things yeah, down yeah. here right now. Yep. 
That is insane. And this has come up a few times on the show, but I mean, sound sound engineers in general are the they're the source of so many people's terrible shows. I don't know. You've said. I mean, totally. Uh, I can think of a number of times where they were just belligerent or shitty for no reason. Yeah. And just, I think in the same way that cops can be belligerent and shitty where just because nobody's going to tell them otherwise. I was, just to make, just to interject, when I said totally in agreement with you, I, I want to make it clear that I am a sound guy too. So sure, I know that sure. like, yeah, I'm not anti-sound guy. Not all it sound is, guys. It is funny, how, especially on early tours, how hard, how hard the lesson is for everybody that like, you're going to meet these people that just kind of don't like you right away and they're your ally. You need them to do your little job that night. And it's weird to have that antagonism with this, essentially a stranger while you're yeah. trying to be professional. And it's so common in that world that it is. And it's, um, it's a mystery cause I'm, I'm a sound guy, but I don't think I've ever been a bad mood sound guy, but I also haven't done it for like years and years and years, um, as a profession. So I don't really know, right. like, like you got to kind of assume that the jadedness of, I don't know, working with bands, you don't necessarily dig is probably like the main factor there or something. I think I think that's probably part of it, but I I guess I maintain that part of it is if and this isn't about everyone who's a sound person, but just if you are inclined to be kind of a egomaniac or if you're inclined to be belligerent or or just like shitty to people for no reason, <laughs> then in most situations somebody will call you on your shit. Somebody will be like, "Hey, dude, you don't need to talk to anybody like that." Hey, yeah. there's no reason for that. Yeah, yeah. Like most of us hopefully have people in our lives that are like, Hey dude, you're being a dick right now. Could you, could you just bring it down a notch or something? And I feel like if you're a sound person, no one will say that to you. To some degree, you don't really have any coworkers as a sound guy. Cause you right. show up, you do the thing that the people, the other people at the bar can't do. Otherwise they wouldn't have you in the building. Right. And you are essentially like this, you're like a, like a technician that comes in to fix a, a thing that no one right. in the building knows how to fix. So you, yeah, you're sort of like an independent contractor working amongst coworkers, sort of. Yeah, but yeah. nobody I'm nobody knows your job but you. <laughs> right, right. Generally. And then and it's not like this at every place, right? There's places where there's like a lighting technician and they keep an eye on the sound person too, and those people might like You know, I've never met to a others. jerk light guy. <laughs> I've never met that guy. Huh. Yeah, I'm trying <laughs> to think. I was briefly a lighting guy at a um, person. You were like that, but you were a light person. I'm still a light. You're a light person. I'm a person of yep. light. Um, I think, yeah, I'm trying to think. I was, I was that for a minute at the Empty Bottle in Chicago, for like a few months, uh, probably like once or twice a week. I was mostly doing door, but I did lights. Is Empty Bottle still up and running? I love yeah. that place. Great, yeah, great. It's so. always good to hear when the, the like the main cool venue in a town just stays up forever. Yeah, I think they're doing well. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, like you're saying there's no in many cases there's no one that you directly work with except for the bands and my I guess my point is that the bands have every reason to put up with whatever bullshit you put out there because they need you to do a good job and that you might just fuck with their set and put uh, high frequency feedback yeah, right, <laughs> to right. their set if you don't which that's what's fucked up is this in this case you completely demurred to his <laughs> lifetime demands totally. and then he still found it necessary stabbed our ears just, yeah. to stab your ears <laughs> like I'm stabbing something tonight. I'm stabbing something <laughs> <laughs> fuck 
Um, oh, I was going to say one thing. I, I, it, when I kind of started messing around in the film world, I was doing, I, I would occasionally do like sound type stuff. And I, I remember a director saying, my buddy Chad, I think was the one that said, Chad Harbold, really cool director, said something like, there's a whole like bunch of jobs in the film world where like, if you do a really good job, you're competent and you didn't screw up the film. If you do anything wrong, you screw up the film. Like if the sound guy on the film set that day screws up and you don't get good sound, it's such a huge problem. Yeah. But if he does a great job, then he's just, then you just kind of, shake his hand at the end of the day and, and he leaves there's no like upside it's only right. you. there's a median like competency level and then all downside I picture like sound guys at venues being like that too where like they're either gonna do fine and then the band gets all the credit or well as, uh, except uh, you know if you're a musician you might notice that the sound guy's really good and go compliment him at the end of the night but definitely nothing more than that and then but at the on the bad side anything that goes wrong and bands will blame you They'll yeah. give you weird like notes that don't make any sense throughout the set or whatever, and you know, like that kind of must wear you down too. But the knife thing is just a totally different kind of breed of yeah, chihuahua. I just feel yeah. like also maybe I'm used to playing a lot of shows where the sound guy is the one person involved in the music who's definitely getting paid that night. Yeah, more than you probably, and more than yeah. the musicians. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I appreciate a great totally. sound technician totally for sure. And if if things sound great, I. I thank the person I thank Always. them even when it doesn't sound yeah, good. at this point I'll go introduce myself to someone at a venue that I'm not even part of if I'm just in the audience I'll go talk to the sound guy if it sounds good because I because it's so appreciated yeah yep but yeah I see what you mean that if it's if it's not good it ruins things but at the same time I I think a lot of times the people in the audience don't know the difference between a like it being bad sound and it the band not sounding good yeah there's huge there's very successful venues that never had good sound like um not to uh, talk a lot of trash, but there's one in Austin, Texas that, I, without even naming a bunch of people I know, would, would immediately know which one I'm talking about that has never gotten their sound problems taken care of. It's just right. shrill, it's too loud, it's always bad, and the, the place does really well, it always has good bands, but it's like it doesn't even really... Right. It, it almost doesn't even kind of matter, but... Uh, I guess uh, it depends on the, the vibe, right? Like, if people are there, if people are there, like, largely to drink or just, like, Get rock out or whatever, yep. then I guess sometimes they're not really... Totally. It's almost like there's. It's more likely that people go outside and smoke cigarettes and be social if the sound's bad. So it might be enhancing their experience. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. It's selling <laughs> more beer right, right. For, the, for the bar. Yeah. Um, well, so just to I guess wrap it up. So that was at the end of the tour. So like, was that the last show or was it like? Yeah, it was the last show. Of, I think like uh, what might have been up to like a thirty day stretch of playing shows every night, and we definitely decided to just get the hell out of Shreveport and um right I actually have never gone back and performed in Shreveport not specifically because of that but I'm I'm betting it's in the back of my mind like stay stay out of Shreveport it's like a it's like <laughs> yeah, a stuck inside that. a mobile type moment where you're just like <laughs> alright fuck Shreveport goddamn. yeah but uh I'm sure that I mean the bartender was really nice she was actually a, kind of aware of what was going on she was this sort of like the voice of reason throughout the night where she would like offer us a some french fries or something you know during the advanced because she knew she was, I'm sorry you got your life threatened <laughs> would you like some french fries at least <laughs> Does we give dull, this to all dulls give, the pain we give fries to all the people this guy pulls a knife oh I wonder even because yeah the bartender sometimes is the other person who maybe is in a position maybe they even if they don't know sound well enough to say this is bad sound I guess they know if someone's getting a knife pulled off (laughs) that that's not a good thing to have in an employee but oh man I respect the way like in retrospect the way the sound guy accomplished all of his goals while while not necessarily brandishing anything he just kind of twirled it near like near his body it was like 
it was actually pretty subtly terrifying to see that. I'd like to see that in a movie where someone's just kind of like, you look down and someone's just going like this with a knife that you didn't know they had at all. Right. It was pretty scary. I feel like it's the movie equivalent is when someone says something very non-threatening, but at the same time reveals that they've got a gun. Yeah. Like, right, they do this, it's this move with the jacket. Yeah, they just, yeah. they sort of just like unveil, you know, the, the thing that's on their, their waist there. Yep. They're like, oh yeah, man, do you, I think everything's fine here, isn't it? Don't, don't you think everything's fine? Exactly <laughs> what the vibe was. <laughs> you go, oh yeah, no, things are great, I'll, it's all good, I'm gonna just head on out now. <laughs> Never mind what I was saying. <laughs> oh man. Well, shit, dude, that's insane. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, thanks for letting me tell it. It's the yeah. first time I've ever really uh, said the whole story in a you know narrative. <laughs> it's fun. Well, um, good luck here in Detroit. I guess we're gonna go. See yeah, cool. Betsy, go see Betsy. Awesome. This episode of Worst Show Ever was made possible by the Patreon pledges of the one of Wyman, Meg Roberts. Christina Poez and Evan Quayberg. If you'd like to support this endeavor, please go to patreon.com slash worst show ever.